in God's Word. To the book of Philippians. After 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you come to Galatians. After Galatians, Ephesians. And then you get to the book of Philippians. If you go to Colossians, that's too far. You've got to turn back. The book of Philippians, we'll read the first 11 verses. And then for this beginning sermon in the series, we'll just focus on the first two verses as our text. Hear now the reading of God's word. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's take just one more moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We pray that through that spirit, this word would take root in our hearts and that we would be transformed by this time of meditating upon your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Who are you as a person? It's a fascinating question to consider. Who are you as a person? If you reflect on that question, who you are as a person, wondering about it, thinking about it, you'll realize that there's sort of two dynamics or two, at least two aspects to that. Because you, of course, are an individual. When it comes to you, I think maybe that old King James Bible with Shakespearean English had a, a, a better way of speaking than we do now, because in Modern English, when we say you, it could mean you in particular, or you all, as in y'all. And in that King James Version of the Bible, thou was directed at you in particular, while ye meant you all. It was a little more specific. And what I'm speaking about right now, in answering this question, who are you as a person, I mean thou. Thou. 
you in particular? Who are you as an individual? That has to be part of answering the question, and that's a fascinating answer if you think about it. Only you have seen through your eyes. Only you have used your brain. Only you have your specific history that has informed every part of your life. Only you use your own five senses. Nobody else has access to that. You, thou, you as an individual. But you realize, as you think about this, who you are as a person has to be answered to some degree in terms of everyone, ye, the community. You have never known what it is to be a person apart from being a member of a community of persons. You are born as a member of a family. It is not just you and your five senses and your experiences and your eyes and your brain and your intellect. It is you as a member of a community, a member of a family. From our earliest ages, we understand that we are a son or a daughter. And we come to understand that we are a brother or a sister and eventually perhaps a father and a mother. But we are a member of a community. And what's going on right now as we come together as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ with multiple generations represented from the oldest to the youngest among us, male and female, we see this reality. It is not just us as individuals. It is not just thou. It is ye. It is you as together members of the church. And it is one body. It is one baptism. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. There is one head of this church who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are members of his one body, at least a local expression of his one body being Grace Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And I'm belaboring this point because I believe the reason the book of Philippians has so much to say to us is because of who we are as people. Who you are as individuals and who you are as a church, as a community. And who you are as individuals and who you are as a church are both applied to here, addressed throughout the book of Philippians in unique ways. First of all, the whole book is written to the church. You can't miss that. We get to that immediately within the very first verses. It is addressed to this church in Philippi, the saints that consists of uh, saints, but also overseers and deacons. That's the church, ye. But then throughout the epistle, Paul appeals to you as an individual in a beautiful way, and that is by speaking about himself. You see in verse 3, as soon as he is done with the introductory verses, in verse 3 he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And over and over, throughout the four chapters of Philippians, Paul speaks about himself as an individual, as a thou, and appeals to you as individuals in that way. So for this first sermon, as we begin, 
a letter from the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit that addresses each of you as individuals, but also addresses you as a church and a community. We'll see in verse 1, the author in the first part of verse 1, then the audience in the second part of verse 1, and then an address in verse 2. The things that you'd expect to see in any letter, an author, an audience, and an address are here in the first two verses of the epistle. And we read, first of all, about the author, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. And what you see here is that uh, Paul is the author. He mentions himself by name. And you could think maybe he co-authored it with Timothy, but I think it's better to understand that in some sense he's in uh, touch with Timothy during the time he's writing this, so he includes Timothy in verse 1. But you can see that it's really a letter from Paul beginning in verse 3 and then throughout the rest of the book in that um, Paul refers to himself as I. He doesn't say we or Timothy and me or Timothy and I, but instead I exclusively. So it, it is a letter from the Apostle Paul who calls himself a bondservant of Christ Jesus, giving you there the understanding that all that is Paul is understood to be completely in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how Paul understands himself. He is in every way a servant, even a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, wholly subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is under that subjection servanthood that we can understand this as God's word. Who is writing to us by under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Paul as a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul as that servant writing God's word. And I think this is, as I've already said, important to realize Paul, who uses the pronoun over and over throughout the book, I, to among other things, relate to you as individuals. Each of you, of course, is an I. Each of you is someone who has your own thoughts, as Paul did. And simply by using that first-person pronoun, I, Paul makes accessible various things about his own life as application for each of you, the I's that are here, including this I here. But he goes slightly further than that. Paul will do this frequently and harkens back to who he is as a bondservant. In chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says to the church, brethren, brothers and sisters, join in following my example. And then in chapter 4, verse 9, he says something very similar. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul, who wrote this letter, refers to himself as I throughout the four chapters, relates to you being a I, being an individual, says, emulate me. Use me as an example. Observe how I am and copy it. In um, 1 Corinthians, he says something very similar. He says, insofar 
as I represent Christ. Copy me. You know, Paul's a sinner like us. So obviously he wouldn't have you copy his sinful ways. But to the extent that Paul is holy, to the extent that Paul is a new creation, to the extent that Paul lives in accordance with Christ as an obedient bondservant of Jesus Christ, use him as an example. He calls for you as individuals to look to him as the author and relate to him and apply to yourself through his example the things he teaches. And I'm belaboring that point because that makes the book of Philippians tremendously exciting. Many commentators, I think all commentators I've read, will jump to point out to you that more than any other book in the Bible, the theme of Philippians is joy. Joy, over and over. And what I want to do as we consider the author, the bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, is read through various verses in which that author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks about joy. And then after that, consider the difference between happiness and joy. And after that, we'll see why this is such an exciting letter to spend a series preaching and teaching through. But throughout these four chapters, Paul, who is an individual like you and writing that you might relate to him, he begins in verse 4, that, uh, well, really verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And then if you go to verse 18 of chapter 1, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So not just Paul's joy, but his expectation that he be the ambassador of joy, leading the Philippians, leading the church into joy. Chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. And you can move down to verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2. Therefore I have sent him, that is Epaphroditus, all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. The beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Then to begin chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, I long to see who I long to see, my joy and my crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, 
my beloved. And then, of course, chapter 4, verse 4, we get joy twice as a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then verse 10 of chapter 4, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. As we pay attention to the author of Philippians, the human author, that is, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we consider those verses, we see that he is abounding in joy. He can't write a single chapter without speaking about joy, without speaking about rejoicing. Rejoice, again, I will say, rejoice. And here's what's so exciting about the book of Philippians. The difference between joy and happiness. Have you ever thought about the word happiness? Have you ever thought about the words that it sounds like? The hap part of the word happiness? Really fascinating that the word happiness actually derives from an old English word meaning good luck. And that's not the worst way in the world to think about what happiness really is. We have words besides the word happiness that use the word hap at the beginning or the etymolo- are etymolo- etymologically derived from happiness. Haphazard is a word. And happening, a happening, is a word that's related to happiness. You see, happiness has everything to do with circumstance. And it is a reality of life. If something good happens to you, if you win a million dollars, if you get the job that you wanted, you get an A-plus on a test that you've had, you get a good bill of health from the doctor, you're given a good thing, something works out, something went far better than you had expected it to do, all of those things result in happiness. Circumstances that are good good for you as individuals, bring about happiness. But Paul doesn't use the word happiness over and over in the book of Philippians. And here's what's astonishing. He refers to his circumstances throughout the book of Philippians. And they are not circumstances that you would think have anything to do with happiness. Four times in the first chapter, Paul speaks about his imprisonment, being in bondage, being a prisoner, having his freedoms curtailed in a way that none of us want. And yet from prison, as a prisoner, Paul writes four chapters abounding with joy, saying at so many different points, come into this joy. Be a rejoicing people. Maybe happiness isn't there for you at this point. Maybe the circumstances are difficult and trying, even as trying as prison. But what is here for you now is joy, not a happening, not a circumstance that dictates how you behave or respond. But because he is a bondservant of Christ Jesus, 
he is able to so trust in the goodness and grace of God that even from prison, even in bonds, even while being imprisoned, he knows joy and can say to you, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say, rejoice. Not happiness necessarily, but abounding joy from the author who is imprisoned. And the address of Philippians is helpful for us. It's part of the reason we're looking at it and we'll be spending time in it as a church because the entire book is from Paul, and the audience is consistently the church. In other books, Paul addresses husbands and wives and servants and also children in particular. But really, throughout these four chapters of the book of Philippians, Paul is consistently writing to the entire church. He's addressing a church, the local church of Philippi, as is mentioned in verse One, the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And therefore, these four chapters continue to speak to the church today and address all of us, not just as individuals, but as a collective audience, the church. And from that very first verse, I want you to think of um, really just two different things here. Look at that word that he uses to introduce the church in verse 1. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Do you see what that verse does? You think about a book like Philippians or any of the New Testament books, the occasion of these New Testament books, oddly enough, is problems. The books are inevitably written by a human author like Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to address issues in the local churches to which they're writing, to spur them on to good works. And we'll we'll get to all kinds of issues that were in this Philippian church behaviors that the Apostle Paul, as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, needs to see corrected, addressed, changed. But he doesn't front-load that, does he? He doesn't begin by saying, here I am, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got three chapters of every way in which you guys are way off base and need to clean up your behavior where you're being disgusting and a poor example to the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that. He calls them saints, holy ones. He sees this church as in the Lord Jesus Christ and not just the elders or the overseers. It says overseers here, referring to what elders do. Other places in the Old Testament, overseers are referred to as elders. But he's recognizing the entire church, including the elders and the deacons. And even though he knows their problems, even though he knows their sin among them, even though he knows that, like every church, there are issues in Philippi, 
He sees them as saints. And by the way, as he works through the different issues and advises them in different ways, he maintains that understanding of this church. And when he concludes at the end of chapter 4, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Tremendous encouragement to each of you as individuals. Are you aware of your sin? Do you know you fall short? Do you realize that every day of this past week you have fallen short of the glory of God and though you are saved by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, you still sin on the authority of the word of God. You are a saint, a holy one. And don't stop there, rejoicing in the encouragement that that brings. Bring that with you to church as you see other people, as they get on your nerves, as you see them do things that they really shouldn't do at points. Realize that the New Testament speaks about the church as holy ones in God, that that's the way Paul addressed the audience, which is the church. Saints. We have the author and the audience in verse 1, and then the introductory message appropriate for saints. And it's what you hear at the beginning of each service here at Grace Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and I'm sure that because it's the address of greeting that we hear at each service. We're so used to these words, they sort of start to be Christianese and cease to be as meaningful to us as they should be. But they should stagger you. They should take you back every time you hear. You should sort of hear these words and say, come again? How could that possibly be true? Chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Breathtaking. Gospel. Good news. Different from every other religion, every false religion that's out there and purports to be a religion. You have good news in these first two verses that you will never get through any other religion. It's unparalleled. Think about what's going on here. A book in the Bible for religious people, truly religious people, a religious book from a religious man named Paul written to those who are truly religious. And in the first verse, he says you are saints, holy ones in Christ Jesus. And in the second verse, he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and if you're really, 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 really amazing at what you do, the church will recognize you and canonize you and label you as a saint because then you will have performed in such an amazing way that we'd recognize you as a saint. There's none of that in the Apostle Paul. Instead, he writes to everyone at this church in Philippians and says to the saints 
in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't say, if you do this, and if you do that, and if you keep this set of rules, and if you excel at this various, these various routines, and if you make peace with God in these various ways, then you will pierce into the grace and peace of God from the very beginning. Before anything is asked of, of these Philippians, before any behavior is corrected, they are recognized as saints who have received grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you see in these first two verses of Philippians, the gospel comes up front. You can't get into the instruction of Philippians before, endure, before receiving the good news, the gospel. The author speaks to the audience with this upfront address of good news. And isn't that precisely what we believe before any of us were ever born? The Lord Jesus Christ was God, became man, went to the cross, was obedient to the point of death, died for those he came to save. And we who believe, we who trust, we who look to the crucified Savior who rose again from the dead, are able to say that we are saints, holy ones through what he has done, recipients of grace who have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the book of Philippians is worthy of our study. The author calls us to relate to him, to see him as an example. He uses himself to draw us into a joy that is indestructible, that is so much stronger than happiness that comes and goes with circumstances. He draws us into a joy that endures even in prison. As an audience, we are like Philippi, a church that can learn from each command, each exhortation, each encouragement, each instruction that Paul gives. And before we get into any of that, we are grounded and rooted in the gospel of grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And before moving any further, I had to stop and think about something I just believe is representative of who we are as a church, something to be very excited and encouraged about. This might be different for some of you, but as Presbyterians, we, we baptize babies. And some of you witnessed that last week. Even young children or infants are baptized and seen as part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at children and are forthright with saying that they are members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, this has everything to do with the week that we have just spent in VBS. And it took the whole church, volunteers, serving as teachers or setup crew or cleanup crew or kitchen hands or um, craft help or whatever it might have been. But think about what was going on that entire week. Going to children 
and saying, we don't believe that because you're children you don't need a savior or that you're automatically saved because you're children of the covenant, but instead we recognize you children as members of the covenant of grace, as people who need a savior, who need to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, who need the grace and peace from God that all of us sinners need. And day after day of VBS, the gospel message, the good news, was broken down so that it would be accessible to the children who we do recognize as members of the church, which is why we baptize them even as children. Do you see how that corresponds to these opening verses of Philippians? Paul doesn't say to the adults in Philippi, He doesn't say, if you're over the age of 13, then the rest of this is for you. He writes to a church that consists of families, like the ones around you right now. He lives and operates in a covenant of grace that is to parents and to their children. And he recognizes them as saints in need of the grace and peace of God so a week like we've just had, reflects these opening verses in which Paul begins to address not only the individuals within a church, but the church itself as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your enduring word. What a thrill it is to look into words written centuries and centuries ago, and to see in those words, words that relate to us as individuals and to us as a church. We thank you, Father, for the elders and the deacons here. We thank you for regarding us as saints through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel of your grace and peace. We thank you for all of these things and that before it gets to anything concerning our behavior, our performance, our attitudes, our actions, that you extend this grace in the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Help us to go and live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.